Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, Decode Your Burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. And once again, we are joined by Heather Tolly Bauer, who is my co-host for this mini series on the thinker, the feeler, and the doer. Heather, welcome back. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Sharon. And today we're going to talk to you about the feeler. If you didn't catch our last episode about the thinker, definitely go back and listen to that. Or if you're on YouTube, go back and watch us. We are taking the time to really do a deep dive on each of these three types, because I think it's really important for each of you to understand what it is that you are doing, maybe even subconsciously, that might be contributing to your stress and to your burnout. One other thing I think that's important to highlight is that you may not be a feeler if you're watching this, for instance. And by the way, neither one of us is a feeler, as it turns out. We talked about how Heather is a thinker in the last episode, and in the next episode, I'm going to be talking about I am a doer. Um, But I think regardless, it's important for you to get into each of these three types, because even if it's not your type, the more you understand it, the more you'll be able to understand other people. And if you're a manager, that's really important so that you can understand the people that you're managing and what their specific needs and tendencies are so that you can kind of keep an eye on them and maybe direct them towards different ways of thinking or behaving. And of course, it's important in all relationships as well. So let's just dive in. Now, when we talk about feelers, the main thing that I like to summarize it as is somebody who's really focused on other people and their needs. So we call them people pleasers often. And these are folks who maybe don't have really good boundaries in place. If that's you, you know what I'm talking about. When somebody asks you for a favor, it's hard for you to say no. And so there's a reason for that, right? It's because you feel guilty. You might have a lot of thoughts about what you should be doing, how you're on this planet to help other people. And so you come at the world with your heart. And while that's a beautiful thing, we also know that too much of anything can lead to burnout at the end of the day. And so if you're finding yourself really resentful about the fact that you've given so much, and yet here you are in this place where you don't feel appreciated, things are not being reciprocated for you, and you really just don't know how else to be in the world, we're here to save the day. So Heather, 
neither one of us is really this profile. I feel like we should be like, I'm listening to you. I'm like, I think every mom feels like they're put on this planet to serve somebody else and we get resentful. But generally speaking, I'm so, well, first of all, thanks again for having me back on, Sharon. But I am so excited about this episode because not being a feeler, I am going to learn a ton. I am going to learn so much. So I'm very excited. I'm really grateful that you have this excitement about learning and the open-mindedness because that's really what we need when we're learning something that's different from who we are, what we're used to, our version of the world. And so even though neither one of us is this type, I think we both know people who are. For sure. And we can bring that into this experience and kind of maybe try to dissect exactly like what's going on under the hood and help people who are tuning in understand themselves better. So as I already said, the feeler is very much driven by this emotion of guilt. And then what I've often seen happen is that they become resentful when their needs aren't being met. You're not meeting your own needs. You're kind of waiting for somebody else to jump in and do it for you. When that doesn't happen, then you end up feeling resentful. Because at this point, now you're like depleted, you're exhausted, and you've been waiting secretly for something to kick in, right? And when it doesn't, then your mind goes real negative. And you're like, what am I doing this for? What's the point of all this? Like, nobody cares about me. Why should I care about them? And maybe then from that place of anger and resentment, you lash out. Yeah. So I'm thinking the people that I think of that I know that are feelers, if I think about the avatar, I'm creating this avatar in my brain of the people I know who are feelers. I feel like they are the friend that they wish that they had. Yes, that's 100% true. Like they are the friend that they wish somebody would be for them. Yes. I want to go back to your mom analogy because while not every mom is a feeler, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with not being a feeler. It doesn't mean that you don't care. There's it nothing just, wrong with being a feeler. It's just, sure. it takes a lot of energy to be a feeler. So Right. In other words, there is no right or wrong here. What we're right. trying to say is that with these three types, the thinker, the feeler, and the doer, you just have your personality. You just have the way that you show up in the world. And neither none of them are wrong or bad. It's just that when you're in stress mode, you go from the positive side of that coin to the more stressed outside of that coin, the burned outside of that coin. And what we're trying to do is tell you if your tendencies are, in this case, to people please, to put your needs on the back burner, to be driven by guilt, to feel a lot of resentment when other people don't do what you think they should do or what have you, then that's going to lead you to feel really stressed out. And over time, that becomes chronic and turns into burnout. So there are are a lot of beautiful things about the feeler. And so what we want to do is try to flip that coin back for you and show you how to get from the stress mode out of stress mode. Right. And I think part of it has to do with how can you do the things that speak to your values, right? So if we think about the feeler, they're concerned with harmony, They have a lot of empathy. We already said they want to please other people. Those are all beautiful attributes. They're sensitive. They're sensitive to other people's feelings. And then they make those decisions based on their emotions and their values. All of that is beautiful. So if you're a feeler, those are all the great things that are true when you're not in stress mode per se. Um, And so 
where does this break down? And what I'm seeing is that it breaks down when you're prioritizing other people over yourself. And again, I think it's because there's some belief, which is driven by this guilt. The belief is that other people's needs are more important than yours. And while it's a beautiful thing to care about the world and to try to help other people, you can never operate from a place where your needs aren't first met. Like it just doesn't work. Right. I think about my days when I used to watch Oprah (laughs) and Oprah was really big on this, right? I mean, I know she didn't pioneer this, but that concept of you can't drink from an empty cup, right? Mm -hmm. And as Again, I go back to, you know, putting my mom hat on. If I'm ever going to dabble in the feeler world, because generally speaking, I am not a feeler. I generally and genuinely do not care what people think about me. But when I do care about what people think about me, it is kind of more when I'm wearing my mom hat. And, you know, there's especially my son is a teenager now, he needs me less and less, or he needs me in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't take up as much of my energy to get him through his day like it used to. And I just think about just so many people who really just draw their energy from doing things for other people and the appreciation that comes back to them. But We know people, Sharon, I'm sure that when that appreciation doesn't come back to them, then it's a problem, right? Well, I think that's true regardless of your type. I think we all need to feel heard and seen and appreciated. And I think that all three types actually burn out when they're not appreciated. I just want to say that. I think with feelers, it's maybe even more so the case. I don't know. But what we do know is that because they're putting all their eggs in the taking care of everyone basket. And there's no eggs in their taking care of myself basket. It's kind of like, well, when I finish taking care of the world, then if there's time left over, then I'll focus on me. And then obviously that doesn't work, right? And so I like how you brought Oprah into this because one thing I know about Oprah is while she was very caring, and comes through in the work that she does and how she engages with her guests. And there's a lot of heart in the work. I also know is that before she started her day in front of the camera, she was working out at the gym. She was doing things to take care of herself. Mm. So she didn't say, let me shoot this episode, take care of my guests, take care of my audience, take care of my sponsors, like do all the things. And then maybe if at the end of the day or at the end of the week, there's a little bit of time left over, then I'll go work out or then I'll hang out with my friend, Gail King, right? Like, (laughs) no, like she actually weaved all that into her existence. She filled her bucket first. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And I think that's a really powerful message is like, you can be like an amazing feeler. You can be the person who does amazing things in the world. And we need people like that. We absolutely Mm. need people like that because they make this world the better place. These are the people who care about the environment. They care about society. You've got people who are in the social services arena, right? Your nurses and your doctors are often feelers. They come into it not because, unlike popular belief that you want to be a doctor because you're going to make lots of money. The truth is they come out of school with a huge amount of student loan and they've spent years and years and years training, not because of the money, 
but because they want to make a difference because of the passion. I mean, I think about teachers in that way too. 100%. Do you think that vocation, like if you're innately a feeler, like that drives vocation? Is that? Well, I wouldn't say that teachers are per se feelers. I think a lot of teachers might be thinkers because, Mm -hmm. you know, they're into the education space. But yeah, I think there is some sort of correlation, kind of a loose thing that we might say that it drives certain people into certain areas. And it doesn't mean that you can't be a thinker and a feeler at the same time or a doer and a feeler at the same time, right? We do see that there are people who maybe have the trifecta and we'll talk about that in a different episode. But I think just to kind of bring it back to the feeler, they are somebody who really cares about other people. And they sometimes, if we have the healthy version of that, then they're doing the things and taking care of themselves and they have boundaries in place. And then they're making the world a better place. They're having an impact, but they're not burning out. Another way that we see it break down outside of work, not just outside of work. When you think about relationships, we also have relationships at work. And oftentimes the reason they're burning out is because the relationship with their manager or somebody who is in charge of them, who happens to maybe be a narcissist. Mm. And there are a lot of people that are in leadership, that are running companies, that are in higher up positions, that are managing other people. And I've had this experience myself where they're narcissistic. And so they were focused on just climbing that ladder. They're not there to serve. They're there to serve themselves. They're the exact opposite of the feeler, if you will. And somehow there's this magic kind of magnetic attraction between narcissists and feelers. And I've seen this in a lot of my clients. This is something that for some reason, there's an attraction there in a lot of romantic relationships, but then people kind of burn out in the relationship when they never actually get their needs met. Like they're so dependent on this person who is a taker and you're a giver and it kind of makes sense that it's going to go together. But at some point you feel depleted and then you start being resentful. Like, what am I getting out of this? Right? So that can happen in the workplace. And when it does, you're not going to change that boss of yours. And it can actually be very traumatic to constantly be put down or unappreciated or manipulated or taken advantage of all these things that we see happening on the work front when that is who is managing you. We've talked about this before, you and I, and I told you that my first husband was a narcissist. And you said something that I really, when we were talking, that I thought was really just was eye-opening for me when you said the kind of the narcissist playbook is how they treat the people around them, right? Do you remember saying that? Could you share that? I don't. I don't remember. Okay. So you said a narcissist maybe doesn't feel really good about themselves. And so they put people down around them and they make people around them small so that they can be bigger. And if you are a feeler, like what you just said, are feelers and narcissists kind of end up kind of in the same like space, which totally makes sense. But can you imagine being a feeler and working for a narcissist or being in a relationship with a narcissist and just being constantly giving, 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 And somebody's just happy to take, 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 and they never give anything back. Oh my God, that sounds really challenging. Yeah. And like I said, not only does it lead to burnout, like really severe burnout, I would imagine, but also it can be traumatic. And sometimes we might have parents that are narcissistic 
And so we're kind of used to that format. And maybe subconsciously, we're seeking out other people in our lives that are narcissists, whether it's a romantic relationship or even at work. So that's something to kind of pay attention to, because it is possible to break that cycle, but you have to have that awareness that this is what's happening. And this is where the boundary thing is really important, because as we said, a lot of times feelers are challenged in that area. They need to be able to set those better boundaries. And when that happens, they're not going to allow somebody who's a narcissist to take advantage of them. Now, I'm somebody who's not a feeler, but I worked with a manager who was a narcissist at some point. And it was really hard for me compared to some of the other things that I've heard about people who've worked with narcissists. It wasn't even as bad, right? But he would look for opportunities to put me down. He would, if I said the wrong word, he would like emphasize that in front of the whole group as we're sitting there, like, really, Sharon? Is that what you meant? You know, that kind of thing. And then if I was one-on-one with him, he would like start yelling at me. And it was just very uncomfortable to be in his presence, you know, because I was like in fight or flight every time I had to be around him because I just didn't feel safe. Like I said, I'm not even a feeler, but if I was, there would be this desire to please him, which I didn't have that desire. My only desire was just to like get away from him as much as possible. So this was actually when I was still in grad school, believe it or not. And I was in a placement where I don't even think they paid us. It was just to get our hours. And so I was there to get my hours and get experience as a student. And so you can imagine like here I am showing up, basically volunteering my time. I'm there to learn. And I am feeling so unsafe in this situation that about... I don't know, a month and a half before the end of the year, I just was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't know what the repercussions are going to be for me, but I can't do another day of this because I would get in his office and he would like yell at me. I would go into like a room after I'd meet with him and I would just cry because I was just like, I can't handle this anymore. Like, this is so bad that I said, you know what? I'm just going to resign. And so it was a Friday and I'd written out a letter that basically said like I'm not coming back and I knew he'd gone home for the day because it was like after the yelling session had ended he needed to go home take a nap (laughs) I don't know I slipped it under his door and then I never came back so it was just like I'm letting you officially know that I'm not coming back and then did you say why I wish I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, I wish I could find a version of that letter, like on my computer or something. I obviously didn't have this computer that many years ago, but I'm sure I was diplomatic. I wasn't like, listen, because, you know, you're a jerk and you don't know how to treat people. But I did say that I don't feel like I've been treated well. I don't appreciate all these things. I said that I will do my end of the bargain, make sure that I get my reports done. Like, I didn't want to leave anything undone. I didn't want to be unprofessional, but I felt that he was being unprofessional. And so I was like, listen, I'm not doing this anymore. And here's my resignation. And that was that. And the funny thing was, by the way, before this all happened, before I gave him the resignation, I went to the coordinator for my school and I said, this is what's happening. Like, I'm having a really hard time in this placement. And so the woman got in touch with him and I was like, good, because now you see what I'm talking about. No, yeah, at least he didn't <laughs> gaslight the situation. Okay. 
time out. I'm fascinated by the story. I'm fascinated by the story because I think a lot of us can identify, especially some of us of a certain age, can identify with it being younger professionals and being in the workplace and having to navigate situations and navigate personalities. A long time ago, when I was a young professional, this was sort of a, if you had a boss like this, so this is how it is, toughen up cookie, you know, suck it up buttercup. That was very much, very much a thing. I don't know if that was because mostly for women. I don't know. I've never been a man in the workplace. I've only been a woman. But I'm fascinated by this because I think the doer in you kept you in that situation because you valued the work and you were in that situation for a reason, right? But eventually your boundaries kicked in and you were like, no, you know what? Mm -mm. Nope, I cannot. Because, you know, you said you were constantly in fight or flight, which talk about creating trauma. That's that constant feeling of anxiety and fight or flight is very stress inducing. And then as we know, because I love what you say about what is burnout, Sharon? Chronic stress. Chronic stress. Oh my gosh, you give dropped so many nuggets. I love it. I love it. So a feeler doesn't have boundaries. Am I right about that? In stress mode, you could be a feeler with boundaries. That's my goal is to help people who are feelers, not feelers to change their personality. Burnout. Let's say if you're burned yeah. out and you're a feeler, it's because you have not you don't have communicated your boundaries. Maybe you haven't set adequate boundaries, maybe. So maybe you haven't even communicated them to yourself. That's right. But you certainly have not communicated them to the people that you've now kind of made dependent on you. Do you know what I mean? Or the 100%. people around you that are dependent on you. Yeah. And that might be as simple as just your colleague is asking for a favor and you're already maxed out. But you don't want to say no because you're like, well, you know, I want to help them and I feel bad and something that I could totally do. And it's like, that's not enough of a reason to say yes, right? Like you could, you want to help, which is great, but it's not always about that as a decision point. It's also about, can you help right now? Like maybe the timing isn't right. Right. And, and maybe they need it right away, but you've got an agenda of your own. And so are you putting whatever their whim is that they just showed up with ahead of what it is that you're supposed to do? This is not exactly like a feeler situation, but just as an example, what we often do when we start our workday is we start with emails instead of getting down doing the tasks that we're supposed to get done. So what is that actually saying? It's saying like other people's needs that they're emailing me about, I'm taking care of their needs ahead of doing what I need to get done. That's kind of like an analogy, right? It's like right. spending time on like answering other people's requests and responding to them because you don't want them to think that you're not working or that you're not responsive, whatever. Like that does not take precedence over everything else important that you have going on. So that's why I always tell people, don't start your day with your emails. It's a small boundary, but it's a great example of, how we have to start by just switching our mindset from serving others first and then serving ourselves to serving ourselves and then others. But I think one of the obstacles there is that feelers in particular think that's selfish and that selfish is bad. Right. I think people want to be perceived as being a team player. And so in the work environment, depending on where the request is coming from, I was in the corporate world. I was the public relations executive 
for a company. And the role wasn't really all that valued in the company. People just thought, I planned parties and planned events. And doesn't everybody want to be the party planner? I was a department of like one and a half people. I had a ton of responsibilities and not enough resources to get all the jobs done. And I had to respond and be present for a lot of different people. People would just have no problem with walking into my office and saying, hey, I need you to do this. And I finally figured out because I was a young professional and other duties as assigned was a thing and everybody outranked me. You want to be a team player, right? You want to contribute, right? I finally figured out how to say, okay, especially if the request was coming from somebody directly above me, like the president of the company, I am working on these five things. Which one of these things would you like to see me not work on? Which three of these things would you like? Because I'm going to have to set three things aside to take care of this right now. Which three things that you've asked me to do can be moved aside so that I can take care of this thing, good, bad, or otherwise? Because listen, their five alarm fire doesn't need to be my five alarm fire. Plus, I think that sometimes we get delegated a whole bunch of stuff to do. Right. And that's because the person delegating is like, I've got all this stuff that I got to get done. I've got this assistant. Let me have them do all the things. But we're not keeping track of all the things that we've given them per se. And I think a good leader who's delegating has to keep in mind everything that that person has already been delegated and then say, listen, I know I've given you these five things already, but let's press pause on those. I just need you to get this done first. Like this is important, right? And a lot of managers don't do that. So it's up to you to speak up and say, I've got these five things already. Which of these do you want me to focus on first? Because that sends a really strong message that you understand that you can only focus on one thing as opposed to when you don't have that mentality. You're like, oh my God, I've got to do five things now. And I only have three hours and then you get into stress mode and you're overwhelmed and then you're not able to do good work. And the truth of the matter is, no, you can't do all five things in three hours. And the expectation isn't necessarily that you're just making that assumption. So you've got to check in and ask exactly what you did. Yeah, I think that's a good point because you're assuming you just take that on, assuming that they know well and good everything else that you've got on your plate and they don't. That's Um, a really good example of a boundary, right? So sometimes we think of boundaries as this like thing where we're keeping people out and we're shutting ourselves off. And obviously that goes against every grain of the feeler. Like they want to be connected. So we're not saying that. We're saying that There's got to be a fluid boundary where things can go in and out, but there's still got to be something there. It's kind of like when you've got a door to your house so that the elements don't come in and strangers don't come in and steal your stuff and hurt (laughs) you or whatever in the middle of the night. But that door can be opened and you can let people in at your discretion. And that's how I want you to think about the boundary. That is brilliant. Oh my gosh. I love that so much because talk about like visual, like, okay, okay, okay. If you're a feeler, (laughs) if you're a feeler, which neither one of us is, but if you're a feeler and you have to like, you know, meditate on something or conjure up some sort of visual to help you get the courage or whatever to 
put up a boundary. We can only like run on empty for so long. You just imagine a door and your door can have a window. <laughs> your door has a peephole, right? It has so a peephole. You can see out there. Whatever, you know, you can build this door. We're building Actually, a door, not a wall. You know, well, that, that's a good point, Heather. Like, what's the difference between a door with a window and a door with a peephole? I don't know. Is that a joke? Is this a joke? No. Think about it. It's an analogy, right? Oh. So a door <laughs> with a window has less of a boundary because the person outside can see who's inside. Right. But the door with the people, you can see them, but they can't see you. Right. And so when you've got that door of the people, you get to make a decision about, do I want to open this door now that I know who's outside? And they don't have to know that I'm even on the other side of the door versus if you've got that window, they know you're there. No, no, then- no, no. Because I'm doing that belly crawl. I am like hiding behind the furniture. I am Sebastian Maniscalco. I'm Sebastian Maniscalling it. Yeah, I am. Uh- <laughs> Sharon's a big fan of his. You can Google that. <laughs> about what happens when comedian. people come to the door uninvited these days. I should put a link to that. You're going to have to in the show notes. You're going to have to. But I mean, Sharon, seriously, that I really feel like that's powerful. And maybe people have to lean into, maybe they have to work towards the door with the peephole. Maybe building a screen door is a good first step. I don't know. I think we're onto something. (laughs) I think we're onto something because I really do know. I really do feel like that's powerful because I feel like if you are a feeler, And this is the way you're wired. And this is the habit that you have built and created. And this is how you approach your day and approach things that you kind of need somebody to give you permission. Like, I think if a feeler is listening right now, we're telling you, go out there and put up a screen door and then put up a door with the window and then put up the door with the people so that you decide. I think that's the life skill is understanding that these are choices. Yeah. Yeah. And just to take that analogy one step further, would you ever have a home without a door because you feel guilty about not letting everybody in all the time? No. Oh my gosh. No. So why would you do that in other areas of your life? Right. It's just a total reframe. I see what you did there. Reframe, door, frame a door. I get it. I get it. I get it. But you know, you and I talk about this too. There's so much energy in being a feeler, like the energy that you are placing as a feeler. And like you said, we need feelers in the world, but we don't need you to burn out. You know, nobody wants a feeler to burn out. And so the energy that you are placing on pleasing others, it takes a lot of energy to be so invested in somebody else's happiness when you ultimately have no control over that. Am I right about that? Well, yeah, I think it's beautifully said. And you actually said it really succinctly before we started recording. So I'm going to say this for everybody because I wrote this down and I think everybody should write this down. See, every once in a while, even I teach Dr. Sharon something. So this is Heather's meme, okay? She says, it takes a lot of energy to care about something you cannot control. Oh my gosh. What? I said that? You said that. Wow. You said that. You were rubbing off on me. That is genius. (laughs) And you also said that this is the friend you wish you had. Yeah, I feel like the people that I know that are feelers and they get upset because they're not getting that kind of energy back at them. They're kind of resentful for that. I have been known to say to people, oh, so you're being the friend that you wish 
you had. You wish somebody would show up for you the way that you're showing up for them. Yeah. And this goes back to, we talked about this in the thinker episode, because you know, I geek out on communications. It goes back to communicating what you need. And actually, I'm glad you brought it up because my next question to you was being a communication expert. One of the things that we may find with feelers is that they like to avoid conflict. Mm -hmm. So if somebody, and, and again, I think that ties back into the boundary thing, but if somebody is really conflict avoidant, what tips do you have for these feelers so that they can have those better boundaries and manage conflict in the workplace in a better way? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think that you tapped on something really important, and that is arming yourself with a strategy because we know conflict is going to happen. And if you know that you're somebody who really avoids conflict, then knowing that about yourself and then kind of practicing and preparing and being prepared for a situation where conflict might ensue. And I'm not talking about conflict like, what you had with your former supervisor, where it's really uncomfortable. For some people, that conflict is just knowing how to say no. I see that all the time. You know, you have to understand no is a complete sentence. And it is, but your boss is probably going to want an explanation. (laughs) And I feel like understanding what the situation is, I think I gave a good example of that, saying, okay, listen, These are the things I already have that I'm working on that have been identified as important tasks that are going to move this project forward, the company forward, or whatever. Now, if that's changed, great. Let's reassess and let's see what can go so that I can take this on. Or is this thing that you're asking me the thing that kind of can get moved to the bottom Or can we send that off to somebody else? I think it's just communicating what is realistic. One of the things I love to do is to say, listen, I want to give this task that you're giving me the attention it deserves. However, Mm -hmm. I can't do that right now. I can do that by Friday. Does that work for you? And if they say, nope, doesn't work for me, then you keep drilling down until you can come up with something that works. My new BFF, Eric McDermott, the next level guy, the next expectations guy. Can Mm -hmm. we drop his info in the show notes too? I'm going to bring him on as a guest. Oh my gosh, you have to. My new BFF. He has this thing about communicating. It's his own thing. He's coined the phrase, what by when? Mm -hmm. And when somebody says, hey, I need you to do this, or if your supervisor says, when are you going to do this? Or how are you going to do this? Or this is what I need you to get done. You say, okay, what do you need by when? And that is like kind of a negotiation point. It's like, okay, instead of saying, I'll get to that soon, you want to have a clear expectation and have them set a clear expectation. Right. If you're the one being... Yeah, A lot of times people delegate and they're not clear. And I think that's true. I found that with parenting, like I tell my kids to do something and they're such concrete thinkers that you have to spell everything out. Otherwise, everything out. And it takes a lot of energy to be that literal, right? It's like, okay, like if I just say clean the bathroom, it's not like I want you to take this brush. I want you to put this powder in. I want you to scrub, you know, like you literally have to spell every detail out. And I know a lot of times people are like, well, you know, it's just faster for me to do stuff that going back to the thinker. I think you've got to take the time to do that once 
And then they have the instructions and then forevermore that's off your plate. But yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely something that you have to spell out for people. Yes. It just comes down to communicating. But also, like you said, the delegator isn't often clear because they're just trying to get it off their plate. It's like, I just need this done. Okay. Well, exactly. What do you need done? And when do you need it by? Or going back and saying, great. Okay. Here's what I can do. If you don't want to put it back on them, say, here's what I can do. I can research this and let you know by the end of today when I can get this done, or that's setting a what by when for your what by when, as Eric says, or you say, great, like I said, I have these five things I'm working on. I can get this to you by the end of business on Friday. Right. So I just want to recap a couple of things here because we're getting towards the end of this episode. And I think it's important to mention some of the qualities that feelers have and what's really important to them, right? So if you're a feeler, chances are that you really want to be a supportive partner to other people. And that's why maybe conflict is something that you're trying to avoid. You don't like those difficult conversations. You want to keep Mm -hmm. the peace. And so you have some ideas about what that means. And I think we're here to challenge you to think about how that can look differently. Like you can still achieve that same objective but do it in a way that takes care of you as well. You know, you definitely love collaborating with other people and you want to be appreciated. You tend to be very loyal. So if you're a manager, you're looking to hire somebody, feelers are wonderful workers because, you know, they are somebody who really is going to care a lot. But you as a feeler, you may have trouble being assertive about your needs. So that's something to definitely work on. And the last piece I want to highlight is that under stress, you might become overwhelmed by emotions, you might withdraw from conflict. And so for you, self-care is actually very important. I mean, I think it's important for all our types, but for you, because A, you have that tendency to give to others. So you've got to remember yourself and B, because you're very emotionally invested and you have that energy exchange, you're kind of picking up on other people's energies. It's very important to make sure that your energy bubble is protected, that you're taking care of yourself so that you're not also absorbing other people's negative energy. Like there's all kinds of energy work that I think is important specifically for the feeler. I think it's good for everybody, but in particular, because you do have that tendency to be a little bit more sensitive to other people's energy and stuff. So just want to put that out there. Any final (laughs) thoughts, Heather, that you want to add before we conclude? Oh my gosh. No, I would just say that I think I understand the feeler a little bit. I mean, I understand the feeler a lot better now after having talked through this with you. But now that I'm thinking back on people that I know in my life that are feelers, I think this one must be really tricky. This one must be really tricky because they really don't value, but they don't put the same priority on their own needs and self-care as they do for other people. And I think that that's probably a really hard story to change in their head. Yes, but they, it can't be done. It can't be but done. But it can be done. And and, and, I, and I do want to also caution against going too far because I've also seen people who were feelers who got really burned out and they went extreme the other way. And sometimes when I'm engaging with somebody, I sometimes feel they have overly protective boundaries. Like Mm -hmm. it's almost like pushing me away. It's kind of like saying, don't mess with me. It's a little aggressive. 
they don't even have to say it, but it's the way that they interact that I pick up on that vibe. And so I want to caution you. We say it's important to have boundaries in place. You don't want to be the house without the door, but you also don't want to have one of those metal doors that they have in the bank where they seal it up so strong that you can't see through it. You can't breathe in there. Like it's just so tight and it keeps people out at all times. That's a great analogy too, because I don't think that innately that that sits well with a feeler. I think that that's a feeler who has just really burned out. And this is what we're talking about. And what you do is all about balance, finding that balance. What's your door? Door with a peephole. (laughs) (laughs) What's your door? Or you could do like a door with the glass that's got, you know, the frosting so you can see through it. Okay. That's a rich person's door. That's (laughs) a feeler with money right there. There you go. Now they've got those cameras, you know, you could see them through your little app on your phone. You're like, oh, you got the ring. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I can see who's outside. I don't even have to be at my door. That might be like a next level boundary. (laughs) I don't even (laughs) know where that fits. I know people are listening to her feelers and like, yeah, but I can't. You You know, but you can, you can. can. I think it always comes down to your belief system. So identify when you say you can't, what is it that you believe about yourself? What is it that you believe about other people? And what is it that you believe would happen if you had some boundaries in place? Because that's going to bring up your fears. And again, these are all things that tie back to those beliefs. So I think there is some work to be done. We'll be diving more into this work as we go on with more episodes of the Decode Your Burnout podcast. But I do invite everybody to challenge themselves and not just give up because other people have done it. It is possible and it's possible for you too. Heather, thank you once again for joining us. This has been wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that you, as somebody who's not a feeler, now better understand what feelers are all about. And if it's possible for you, it's certainly possible for our listeners as well. For all of you thinkers out there, what did you think of the show? If you're a feeler, well, how did this make you feel? And for all you doers, what are you going to do based on what you've heard? Now, regardless of what your personality code is, my goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience. And by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. And if you're ready to take the next step with me to DYB, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week. Bye, everybody.